from KQED. A politics podcast on location. Hi, everyone. I'm John Myers from KQED News, and this is our California politics podcast for Wednesday, September 16th. That's not our usual day for the podcast, but uh, we didn't quite do a usual podcast this time. My friends Marisa Lagos from KQED and Anthony York of the Grizzly Bear Project and I uh, were in San Francisco at the beginning of the week um, for an event at the Bay Area Council, the uh, consortium of business groups in the Bay Area region in Northern California. And they asked us to come down and talk about the legislative session that had ended, kind of who won, who lost, what we made of it, the politics of all of it. And so what you'll hear uh, coming up is our conversation to uh, the Bay Area Council group, along with some of their questions about what happened in the legislative session. And because so much of what we would have talked about this week was a was a look at what we thought the big takeaways were of this session that just wrapped up at the end of last week, we thought, what the heck, we'll put it out on the podcast. So thanks to the Bay Area Council for setting this up and for also providing us the audio so that we could bring it to you. And as you'll see, I started out the way probably I'd start out a podcast, which was um, saying, well, now what? Thank you for for having us. Um, Yeah, good times in Sacramento. Uh, Legislature's home. I heard everybody applaud. Jim's very excited. Um, There are something like um, 400 bills or so on the governor's desk that he has uh, varying amounts of time, but generally through early October to sign or veto. and I think we thought we would start, and then we'll take some questions if you have kinds of uh, different random interesting things to talk about. But we thought we would start a little bit by kind of stepping back and, and, and trying to each give each of you uh, what we think are the, the broad political narratives that seem to come out of Sacramento after this year is over, kind of a pulse of uh, the politics of, of the State House, as it were. So... Looking at my yeah. friends here, who wants to we, go first? Yeah, we're not going to go through all 400 bills, we promise. <laughs> okay, so 81. We had to sit through them. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, just to, to start, I think the big, the big, one of the big takeaways for me is not what passed this year, but what didn't pass. Uh, and, you know, since Jerry Brown took office in 2011, I've, I've had to write these boring stories every September about the success of Jerry Brown and the Democratic legislature and in passing. Uh, and the governor's really had his way by and large for the last four years, with the one exception of when he needed Republican support for his special election plan back in 2011. He wasn't able to get that. But since then, whether it's been changing the uh, the correctional system, whether it's been eliminating redevelopment agencies, making budget cuts, going to the voters with Prop 30, I mean, year after year after year, minimum wage, driver's licenses. Until now. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. There's been, there's been a lot of victories for the governor. This year was notable for what the governor didn't get. Uh, the most high-profile uh, sort of defeat for the governor last week was when he pulled a provision out of the big environmental legislation, SB 350, uh, that would have cut petroleum, set a goal for the state to cut petroleum use by 50% uh, by the year 2050. We can talk a little bit more about that bill and some of the dynamics of that bill. Um, had to back away from that. The special session on transportation, special session on healthcare, Micah, I'm sure, was watching. Uh, a lot of the, uh, all ended up producing little to nothing. Uh, and so there are a lot of unanswered questions that will bleed over not only into the next legislative year, but into 2016 and as also, well and, uh, yeah. with, the, with the ballot. And I think on that SB 350 fight, you know, I'm sure you guys all saw the commercials. 
some of you may be behind them. Um, you know, there was a lot of pushback, especially from the oil industry. But what was interesting also was watching the dynamic between the two houses of the legislature. This was pro tem de Leon's big sort of baby. He really wanted this legislation. We've talked a lot in the past about whether the governor even thought that this oil goal was necessary to be in legislation this year because, you know, the state's moving in that direction anyway. And he has a lot of power through the Air Resources Board. And one of the big pushbacks in the legislature and, and outside was whether or not to take power away from that board. And what's interesting to me coming back to Sacramento this year after being back in San Francisco city politics, which is its whole own interesting uh, We call that party. another podcast. Yeah, exactly. That's another That's podcast. a different podcast. Was how really the sort of more... Um, business-friendly, whatever you want to call the moderate Democratic caucus has shifted from the Senate over the Assembly. And that was where we really saw the lines being drawn. I mean, 350 had ha got through the Senate earlier this year. And so, um, and, and sort of as an aside, we saw leadership flip in both of the Republican caucuses and the Democratic caucus at the end of this, which sort of opens up questions for what that's going to mean in the future for not just environmental legislation, but other sort of issues that liberal Democrats have pushed that they're now, you know, with the budget especially being a majority budget, it's not, the fights aren't happening between Republicans and Democrats. They're happening within the Democratic Party. And, and, and I think what I was going to point out is that I think an observation that you could make is that what we are seeing in Sacramento is this evolution of what it means to be a Democrat. Um, if not in California, specifically in elected office in the legislature in the state house. Um, whether you call them valleycrats, because a lot of them are from the Central Valley, whether you call them business Democrats, I know you want to call them business Democrats. I, I got my audience. But um, no matter what you call them, uh, there is a there is a very interesting group, and it's not it's not a completely um, it's not completely formed all the time. There's some members that move in, some members that move out, who are um, who are Democrats on a lot of the issues that Democrats care about. I would argue probably on social issues, on j broader education issues. But when it comes to some of these economic issues, there's this push and pull back and forth that is really fascinating to watch. And you know we've sat around and talked about it. Is it is it a function of the um, is it a function of the changing uh, rules on redistricting, where we now have an independent commission that drew the districts and we're getting different members? Is it a function of the top two primary, where you are getting different lawmakers not only running but also uh, the interest groups who fund those campaigns making decisions inside the Democratic Party? Is it a combination of both of that? Is it a function somewhat of the of the leadership of Southern California and Central California, somewhat at the expense, no offense, Bay Area Council, of Northern California? Or is it a combination of all of these? Well, and the other, it's all of these, Well, right? the other reform that John didn't mention is the change in the term limits law. Right. Uh, that right. we've gone from a system where you could serve six years in the Assembly and eight years in the Senate to one where you can serve 12 years in either house. That was approved by voters in 2012. And a lot of these new leaders that you're seeing, they're they're digging in and they're, they're, in, they're in less of a hurry to act. And we saw three leadership changes during, during the end of session fight. Uh, the Senate Republicans, the, and then both caucuses in the assembly uh, changed their leaders, uh, leader elect. It all so happened in have, like two weeks. Yeah, and, and, and these, this new crop of leaders is gonna be in power unless they get taken out by their own members. They're, they're eligible to be in power for a long, long time. That's something that we haven't seen in Sacramento since the early 1990s. Um, 
and you know, and and watching these dynamics of these relationships going forward, politics is a very personal business. And I can tell you that the early relationship between the governor and the two Democratic leaders, uh, Senator DeLeon and uh, and incoming Speaker Anthony Rendon, is at least for the moment a little strained. That would be, I think, it's, that's fair to say. And and that dynamic has very real consequences for how legislation moves uh, you know, in Sacramento. And it'll be interesting to see next year with Speaker Rendon in place, uh, how the governor navigates sort of these, these changing political waters in Sacramento. And I think also the relationships between the two houses are a little strained. I mean, you always, always see this. There's always some, yeah, there's always some issues that I think they disagree on, but um, the the huge medical marijuana legislation that came together in the, really the last week of session, I think is a great example of that. You know, the governor's office stepped in on that uh, basically eight days before session was scheduled to end and said, we basically took the three bills that have been moving through both houses, we married them, here's what you guys should do, which was big because it's the first time that I think really any governor's administration has stepped into that issue. And you know, I think a big part of it is trying to get ahead of potential legalization next year. Um, but from everyone I talked to in the Capitol, the final f days of fighting over an issue that's been fought for almost two decades among the stakeholders. Law enforcement was on board, the counties were on board, the various factions within that industry were on board. The Assembly and Senate were fighting over who got credit, like who got to run the bills. Um, but, but I mean, but, but to, to, to fine point, I mean, no one's been able to get that alliance of those interest groups together on that issue. Yeah. Right. I mean, so, we're 19 years which since uh, the voters have passed medical marijuana. So it was sort of funny to say that that was really the last sticking point, and it came really down to the wire, and there was a question of whether it would get passed. And so, you know, you always see these personality politics at play, but I, I just find that really fascinating. And I think that it's going, as you mentioned, you know, the strain between the offices and, and really, um, you know, Tony Atkins, the current speaker, was came in, everybody knew she was termed out in 2016, everybody knew it would be a short sort of reign for her, and so I don't think she had a lot of, or as much sort of pull and sway over her caucus and votes as her predecessor did. So it's gonna be interesting to see what the speaker-elect can do in that regard, and he really used um, the moderate caucus to get into this office, and whether he kind of sticks with them or goes to the left, it's gonna be fascinating. So I was just gonna talk for a moment and maybe ask these guys to, um, because I wanna talk about leadership in the mm -hmm. Capitol, because we are about to change it, as Anthony said. So if you look at who is aligned, uh, Assembly Speaker Tony Atkins will be out of office, and so the transition to the new leader, new speaker, is gonna be sometime in 2016, to be determined. Um, we have Senate President Pro Tem Kevin DeLeon, who just recently took over, and he'll be there for a while longer, at least ostensibly. <laughs> ostensibly. Um, uh, and then we have two new Republican leaders, Gene Fuller, state senator from Bakersfield, and Chad Mays, an assembly Republican from Yucca Valley, the gateway to Joshua Tree Park, as I said recently. <laughs> so, you know, there's a plug. Um, but if you look at that uh, geographically, and I'm not meaning to look at you, Jim Wonderman, but I am looking at you, Jim Wonderman. Uh, geographically, these are all Southern Californians. There are, I mean, you want the Bay Area Council to extend into Sacramento, I heard you earlier, you have to push it really south to get one of these leaders into your, to your universe. But I'm just curious, I mean, we could talk for a moment about geography, about experience. Chad Mays was just elected, uh, you know, as a brand new assembly member. Uh, Anthony Rendon, uh, chair of the Powerful Utilities Committee, who's going to be the speaker now from, uh, from LA. And again, two LA leaders, a Bakersfield leader and a Yucca Valley leader. 
so uh, no Central Valley and no certainly Northern California. How much of um, the geography, how they elected, their term limit potential, who they are, I mean, there's an interesting mix that is about to shift over. I, I don't know that on the big issues, at least the issues we were talking about this year, climate change, uh, tobacco, transportation, I don't, I don't, well, transportation is an exception maybe, but the strong regional differences, I mean, they, they, they pop up in, in little ways, and I don't want to diminish, I, mean, I don't want to suggest they're insignificant ways, but it's not like water, you know, where, where there are deep regional differences on, on, uh, on, on a lot of the day-to-day -day big issues. So, you know, I mean, could it have an effect around the margins? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And Jim, Jim, feel free to disagree. I don't. I mean, I don't know how how significant. Have a Bay Area speaker. I believe I, I interviewed you for one yeah, of my stories. Yeah, and I took yeah. a lot of flack for it, but I, I thought that that was true. But the fact is, we don't we don't have the numbers, and you know what we hope to get, and we're working on make, is making sure that the committee chairmanships of the you know right now we don't have any of the folks in speaker or in in leadership, but we have the Senate and the and the Assembly Transportation chairs are both from the region, and that makes a difference. But we don't have the budget and appropriations, so. You know, we're going to keep working at making sure that our members are properly represented. And, you know, sometimes I have a few members from Los Angeles who chide me and say, you know, you're, I don't, I don't want to use the word suck, but th that was a word. You know, your I, members I think you just in the did. Bay Area and we're using this for the podcast. The best so business you. Democrats, you know, although I think we have a few good ones. So, uh, you know, I think it may be getting to a place where it is actually less about the geography and a little bit more about values and, you know, we'll see. Yeah. They're going to be there for a while, so I hope that's true. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say, I think in some ways it remains to be seen with the new speaker because who their leadership team is, not just the committees, but who they sort of surround themselves with on leadership and who they, t whose counsel they take really makes a difference. Um, I think that, you know, Tony Atkins, one of her big pushes was affordable housing, and she brought freshman San Francisco Assemblyman David Shu on board. Um, he and she got really one of the first, or the only big affordable housing, upon, uh, I think a $100 million bond that's on the governor's desk right now. Um, but yeah, also, I think people underestimate how many schisms exist within not only the Southern California uh, sort of uh, members, but especially Los Angeles. Los Angeles is a huge place. And if you're from the Valley, you probably have different interests than if you're from Santa Monica or downtown. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it's great for the Bay Area, but I don't think it's a death knell either. It, it is a random, somewhat of a random observation, though, that if you look at the electorate where people are voting in California, Northern California has a much better voting record than Southern California, but the representation in Sacramento is now led by people from Southern California. Make of, make of that what you will. I wanted to briefly talk, if I could, too, just about a couple of things that we were uh, noticing that feel like proxy wars for 2016. Um, and, and whether or not they lead into a 2016 uh, ballot measure or some kind of ramifications at the ballot for people running for election. Uh, transportation is one. Uh, tobacco issues is another. Um, taxes. Yeah, any kind of taxes. As we're sitting here right now, the extension for Prop 30 was just filed as a ballot measure today. Um, it's not quite an extension of Prop 30. It's like a new Prop 30 because it would extend it would extend the taxes on the most wealthy in California, but it would let the sales tax increase sunset. And it's being pushed by all the large labor groups, California Teachers Association, firefighters, others. 
Um, it's what they wanted originally. Oh, I thought it was the Alliance for Better there, California. There's some. Oh, were they were they all yeah. on? I, see, it we're, just happened. We're on yeah. the fly here. Yeah, we got we got. But the I mean, but, but can that's we just, what that's what the that's what they originally yeah. had proposed. I mean, the governor's Prop 30 was the governor's compromise. But on to that, the larger right? question, I mean, is there some proxy war stuff going on here? Do we see some of that play over? I mean, the tobacco tax stuff we're definitely, definitely. going to see on the ballot. Yeah, that's that's definitely going. In fact, um, SEIU has already filed an initiative, and and that gets to two issues, um, you know, the tobacco tax, and then also uh, the issue of increasing provider rates for Medi-Cal. It's been a big issue. California has the lowest Medi-Cal provider rates in the nation, has the most people on Medi-Cal in the nation, and uh, and there's been a lot of questions about network adequacy. That people we've extended Medi-Cal to millions of new people, but a lot of those people can't get a doctor because doctors won't see patients um, who, who get Medi-Cal because the reimbursement rates are so low. There's an initiative on the 2016 ballot to raise tobacco taxes. Is it $2? Well, it's in circulation. It's not on the ballot yet. Oh, right. It's in circulation, but it's moving now towards the ballot with the breakdown of this special session uh, to raise tobacco taxes to raise money for increasing provider rates. Uh, that's something that's coming to the ballot in November. Uh, transportation, I don't know, I'm sure there's some folks in this room that know better than us whether or not there, there may be some ballot action. Um, you know, there was a, an effort to try to strike bipartisan support, but I think it's sort of the transportation debate, everybody agrees about the need, and there's estimates as high as $50 billion for the need for transportation infrastructure in the state, uh, but it's still hard to get Republicans to go along with a tax increase. I and mean, we have, you know, the issue that the money for our roads has declined because we have a flat tax per gallon, and as fuel efficiency has increased, we have per capita we have less money in the transportation account. So that leads to de faster deterioration of the infrastructure. Uh, you know, there seems to be broad public support for it, but gas taxes, as the governor found out, gas taxes are a volatile political issue. That was the issue that the oil companies ha hammered to help kill that provision in SB 350, and anybody who moves ahead with a ballot measure uh, to raise gas taxes for infrastructure funding in 2016, it's gonna have the same political problem. Yeah, I agree. I think transportation's the real sort of question mark out there. I mean, I, th I think it's, the the special session on healthcare, there's the issue of how Medi-Cal uh, Medi is actually funded, this uh, managed care organization tax. It, not that that's not controversial, but that has to be solved or else the state's going to lose like a billion dollars next June. So I think that we'll see some movement on that, whatever that means. Um, on transportation and then all these other issues around that, tobacco taxes, um, developmental disabilities, Medi-Cal. I mean, I think we all agree that really the reason that that special session was called was to take that discussion out of the budget talks last year so that they could get a budget done and sort of push it off a little bit. But yeah, transportation, it's like everyone agrees we need it. Nobody agrees on how to fund it. If you look at the polling on the stuff, on a number of the provisions in the governor's plan, the gas tax, um, and in basically an increase in the vehicle license fee, right? I mean, that's basically what that was. Yeah. They don't poll well. So I think the question is, could you go to the voters? Um, again, it's something that we thought we might see some movement on. They only need, I think, two Republican votes in each house. But and uh, now almost former Senate leader, is he former Senate leader yet? Bob Huff. Yeah, he's is, former. He's former. Is running for the um, Board of Supervisors down in Los Angeles. And so there was some thought that maybe running for local office, that it's a lot easier to sort of sell yourself as supporting a transportation tax, but we didn't see it happen. It, so. is it, but it, couldn't there be, I mean, to me, there's a, the, the element of transportation is hard too because you have to decide where the money has to go. I mean, there is uh, 
urban and suburban. There is public transit versus fixing roads. There is the, you know, I mean, people invoke high-speed rail is not part of it, but the point is, is like there's so many different visions of what California's transportation future is. And then the other thing I thought about with what Anthony just said about, um, uh, you know, vehicle license fees and, and those things, and, or you said it, Marisa, and they don't tack, they don't pull very well. I mean, how hard is it to remember Arnold Schwarzenegger and right. the car tax and the smashing cars with the great big weight? By the way, he's the new host of The Apprentice. Did you see that? Okay. So from governor to apprentice. Um, there was a joke there somewhere. I couldn't figure out what it was. But, I mean, transportation is really hard to get consensus on. And so, I mean, uh, not only the funding problem in Sacramento where it became the T word, the tax word again, and I would subscribe that part of that is the governor has done a very good job at limiting expectations of what tax revenues will be so that everybody gets to declare something a surplus so the Republicans were able to say, we've got money left over. We don't need a tax increase. But there's hard, it's hard to get consensus, I think, for all of those reasons because no one has really sat down and hammered out a future plan for California about what transportation should be. As much as we all know we need something, everybody kind of has a different idea of what it is we need. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even feel like we got to the point of that conversation this year because there was so much disagreement on where to get the money. It that, stopped at taxes, that, in other words. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I mean, there was some talk about putting some money into transit. Um, again, some of the Bay Area delegation really pushed that. And when I talked to them about it, yeah, how do you sell this to somebody in Bakersfield or Fresno? They said, well, they, you know, there's bus service there. But they need help. It, you know, this would have left it up to individual counties and cities to decide how to use the transit money. But I think you're right, John. I mean, the roads everywhere are deteriorating, so that's a bad thing. I, I also found some irony in, at the same time as the governor was pushing this 50% petroleum reduction, he was proposing a gas tax, which is going to just keep declining, right? So it, it's it's a hard one, and I think it's going to continue to be. Tobacco, too. It's the same thing where you tax it, but it's a diminishing revenue source. So, But, you know, you get the money while you can, and then... Triage figure it out a different 10 day. years from now, right. Someone here will wave at me when I'm supposed to go for questions. Is that I'm soon? I'm just about to wave at you right now, yeah. But, but real quick before you do that, can I just one more thing? What's what's the most interesting, what, what's number one on, on our individually um, uh, watch list on 2016 at this point? You got one? Yeah, the tax debate. I mean, uh, the Prop 30 extension was filed. The governor has said repeatedly he would not support a Prop 30 extension. Uh, interestingly, it looks like this initiative, I just, just reading it quickly, uh, uh, just as it filed, it looks like it exempts these revenues from Prop 2, the new reserve fund that the governor just passed. So uh, how the governor uh, comes down on the tax debate and and what other uh, what other dominoes fall here? I think that's that's the big question for 16. So as not to repeat, Anthony. I mean, I think sort of what we touched on earlier, which is how the Democrats and the Assembly sort out a lot of these questions that aren't necessarily super partisan or not anymore. I think is going to be interesting. Um, from tobacco taxes, we saw some law enforcement bills live and die. So I just think the sort of makeup of how that affects what's being sent to the governor next year is going to be interesting. Two words: Tom Steyer. He's, mm -hmm. by the way, I, good to see he's a new member of the Bay Area Council, or Next Gen Climate is at least. Uh, I'm curious to see, uh, Steyer made a lot of noise this summer about gas prices. He appeared at an event with a group called Consumer Watchdog in Southern California that said, legislature, pass a law that says we need some transparency in how oil companies set gas prices. Legislature was never going to do that, by the way. Um, uh, but the environmental groups lost on SB 350 in some ways, or at least that's the narrative. Uh, t 
Tom Steyer has enough money to run a ballot measure about gas prices, which you've talked about like where uh, vehicle fees would be a hard sell. How many people would not vote for something that said we want transparency in gas pricing? Okay, like two. Where are you? But anyway, I mean, so, I mean, does you know, Steyer's a guy with a lot of political interest and a, and a lot of money, and so I'm curious to see does something play out of that. So Ru Rufus and the roving microphone. Great, thanks very much. And if you have a question, uh, raise your hand and wait for me to come and uh, bring the microphone to you so we can get that on the. Uh, None of us podcast. are Dodger fans, so don't worry. <laughs> I have my Willie McCovey socks. Anthony my is wearing Willie McCovey socks. Yeah. <laughs> he came dressed for That's success. Right. Any brave souls? Uh oh. Can you, can you oh back. Anthony Rendon, what 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 is he like? What do we what do we have in store for us with the new assembly speaker? He likes salsa dancing. He's like, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. I, well, he, that was a joke. Uh, um, he wrote the water bond. He's been uh, head of the utilities commission. He's pushed a lot for uh, reforms at the CPUC. Um, and he's very like intellectual. He, I think he might have a PhD. It, it says it on his website. PhD. Yeah. Um, <laughs> doctor. Doctor. All right, doctor Rendon. Uh, Does he go by doctor or speaker when he gets the job? Which uh, one is first? I speaker, think speaker. Doctor. AP style book. Okay. Yeah. What's the speaker, highest? Doctor. What's the highest office? I think speaker. Um, so yeah, I, I think he. So he comes from an environmental background, but again, it, it's. It sort of remains to be seen. He's very, he's been very pragmatic in the legislature so far, and so um, I, that that's sort of what I was saying. I'm really interested to kind of see where that goes. And, and I think again, we said this a little bit, but to make the point clear, potentially he could be speaker for as long as nine years, and and that would be the longest speaker since Willie Brown. Um, can he be speaker for nine years? Does he want to be speaker for nine years? Can you herd the cats that are any caucus where? People may have their own ambitions for power, and what would he do with his leadership? I mean, I think it's a, a bit of an open question, but um, he's clearly a guy who has thought about that he wants to be that person in charge, and he was very successful at rounding up the vote, so um, remains to be seen. Somebody in the back had a question. I saw too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, a, a few short years ago, if a, if a member of the legislature um, crossed leadership on a key vote, and you know, when they got back to the office, there was a lot of cardboard boxes, and they would be moving down to the basement. Um, this or out year, of the building one time. Yeah, out of the building across the street. This year, the speaker lost her key bill, 1335, and the pro tem had his key bill, 350, gutted. Um, has the rise of the moderate caucus made the leadership positions less powerful, even irrelevant to some degree? Well, I, I think a couple of things. Number one, leadership is a learned skill, and you had first-time leaders this time, you know, this this go around. I think. Uh, speaker Atkins, was she made speaker right right around this time last year, right, right around budget time last year? Yeah, there's another element. Her, she was a caretaker because everybody knew she wasn't was going to be there very long because she was termed out. But and Speaker Dele, or excuse me, Pro Tem De Leon, this is his first uh, his first year in charge of his caucus, and so you know, let, let, let's wait a year or two and see if we're still having this discussion or whether there are some moving boxes in the hallways uh, dur during the year next year. And on those two examples, I think it's important to note. SB 350 got out of the Senate. It couldn't get through the Assembly. Uh, AB 1335, I think, was the um, housing tax bill. That was a, that was a two-thirds vote. So, I think I think 
the speaker knew going in that that was going to be a, a heavy lift to begin with. But I do think that there are legitimate questions about how well she controlled her caucus this year, and that's why I think it'll be so interesting to see what Rendon can do. Just really quickly, because I do want to get another question, and I know we're going to run out of time. What's fascinating to me about when you said the two-thirds bill is that one of the things that I think is a, a convenient narrative out there is how uh, partisanship has died down in Sacramento, or gridlock is over. Well, the number one thing we used to talk about was the budget and gridlock. Well, yeah, the budget gridlock is over because Prop 25, passed by the voters five years ago, made it a majority vote in each house. It's it's easy to get a majority. It's easy to get 41 votes in, a, in the Assembly for Democrats. Tell that to Kevin DeLeon. <laughs> well, sorry. Well, but the point is, it's a heck of a lot easier than these other things. Yeah. Two-thirds for taxes on transportation. Two-thirds on a bond measure for a ballot, like the schools. Tell the school bond people that uh, gridlock is dead. No, it's not. So I think it, it has gone underground somewhat, or it is not as obvious. But there's, those fights are still there, and they are uh, partisan, and they are somewhat regional, and they are personality-driven. So it's, it's not a perfect place. Don't believe the hype. Hi, I'm Melinda Franklin from United Airlines. Uh, just a couple of questions that are totally unrelated. Just a, a, a question about the Bay Area delegation, because I know that um, Speaker Atkins had good relations with David Chu, and Phil Ting had a big revenue tax. I mean, we had good committee assignments. So how do we see those relationships with incoming Speaker Rendon? And then the second question is unrelated. It's it, what about the right to die legislation? I'm just curious yeah. of whether you think the governor will sign that. You, you take the first one. Yeah. So I think on, I had a really interesting conversation with former Speaker John Perez earlier this year um, on committee assignments and how the sort of, you get juice in Sacramento. And he was saying that any good speaker is going to spread around the love because you need the support of your caucus. So, I, I mean, it remains to be seen exactly which committees or if, you know, Ting will keep Revan Tax or where Chu will land or, you know, I mean, the Bay Area caucus is pretty diverse in itself, right, um, politically and in many other ways. But I do think, I, I mean, I don't think the Bay Area would be, like, iced out in any way. It just depends on, you know, who Rendon needs to reward and keep close <laughs> and who he wants to sort of, you know, I think make nice with and, and bring in. So um, I, I would be surprised if, you know, the Bay Area got all the juice committees, but I would also be surprised if we got none of them. And, and then on the other one, on, on the right to die legislation, which was easily um, one of the two or three most talked about pieces of legislation at the Capitol. I would say the vaccinations bill was another one, and I probably could throw in another or so or two yeah. for good measure. But the uh, the right to die legislation went through so many different uh, chapters. It, it uh, stalled in committee because of, of some reluctant Democrats. It came back during the special session. The governor's staff suggested in at least one news interview or one quote that it was not appropriate for a special session on healthcare financing, which almost to me felt like it was a signal like maybe he would throw it out, you know, on a technicality rather than actually dig down into the issue. That may or may not be true. It was a fascinating debate, if any of you saw it or followed any of it, because it was one of those really personal, non-political moments in Sacramento where people are talking about who they are as Californians and as people and as mothers, fathers, family members. Um, the governor is the governor is the guy who who like seems to be one of the best governors in the country. I think to like wrestle with this, he's more spiritual. He talks about his spiritual life. He waxes poetically on the meaning of everything. Uh, but he is the hardest for me to to try to peg where he's going to go on this. 
uh, once the bill gets to his desk, and this may get resolved sometime soon, but I didn't know it as of this weekend, um, whether the bill is on his desk yet or not. He has 12 days to, to sign it or veto it. It's, 30, uh, it's a special yeah. session bill, special session bill. So he only has 12 days to sign or veto. And it would only take effect once the special session is adjourned, which if any of you are watching, the special sessions were not adjourned on Friday night. So um, I don't know kind of what the mechanics about this will happen. I don't know where the governor stands. I know it'll be talked about nationally. I know it will be that issue. And I think there was a healthy debate about whether this should have been on the ballot or should have been left to the legislature. Is this something that Californians quintessentially should have weighed in on? Or is this something that they couldn't have had that discussion and it need to be their elected representatives? I don't know. But I thought it was one of the most fascinating debates of the year. Yeah, having covered the governor for four years for the LA Times, I am officially out of the prediction business when it comes to Jerry Brown. I, we all you know, should be. Yeah. We all should yeah. be. Yeah. And aside, uh, the governor was trained as a Jesuit. Don't forget that part. Yes. And I think that's yeah. what makes it fa another layer to yeah. the complexity for him to wrestle with that. My, my question goes back to transportation, uh, really your comment. Um, so we, we're up to our necks in uh, deteriorated uh, infrastructure and uh, demand for all kinds of transportation that we're short on. Uh, how do you think that affects the temperature and the appetite in the legislature regarding high-speed rail and where we go with high-speed rail? Well, that presumes that the legislature will have another shot to talk about high-speed rail, I guess, in some way. I mean, technically, they don't, unless a, a governor allows them to, a ballot measure comes back. I mean, well, and it, uh, every, are, go ahead. And every time the Republic Specifically about funding, okay? There's no funding. So That's the legislature has got to figure it out. Well, the bond, the funding for high-speed rail has been approved in this. The state portion was approved in a bond. The rest is contingent upon federal dollars and, and private sector money. Right? I mean, That's it's interesting. The legislature kind of gave the authority to use the money the way they saw fit a few years ago. But there are, there are these people who want to know, should we look at it again? And I think it is one of the great challenges of looking at this governor, right? I mean, this governor is an incrementalist in a lot of ways. Let's do a little of this, a little of that. That's not incremental. Neither is the Delta Water Project is not incremental. I mean, and, and I asked him that in a press conference, and he said, well, there's an exception to every rule, and that's the one. You think and we'll like, see, well, okay. uh, you think we'll see, we, we have to wrap up soon, but uh, a lot of folks, our chairman has said that uh, my, my uh, compensation package is dependent upon achieving uh, major CEQA reform. Is this something I can expect good news? Wow. Now, earlier you said that your staff did a lot of work for you and you didn't have to do anything. Yeah. So. But so if you're not paid for not doing anything, is that okay? No, I, I mean, I boy, that's tough. I didn't even hear sequel reform no. come up this year. I mean, not to say that it couldn't, things come out of left field all the time, but after that was like all we talked about, when was the last time we were doing this podcast? Three or four years ago. It really didn't come up. Yeah, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep on a, maybe, maybe it's just my fantasy, like, you know, the talk of the grand bargain in 2011 about taxes and, and regulatory reform, including sequel reform. You know, this governor hasn't hasn't weighed in on the tax debate yet. I wouldn't necessarily rule out for 2016 renewed talk of a of a you know a, a macro deal that involves equal reform. You have you have folks. I mean, clearly there are folks in the legislature, including our newest senator, Senator Glazer, our newest senator. Yes, he is. He would be uh, open and have worked <laughs> on the issue before. Um, and I think there's some some willingness, but you know, but getting there on its own, it would it would take some, some leverage on another issue to find legislative votes. I will say on that point quickly that 
another great guessing game among people who love to talk about politics, and that must be us, um, is the governor has $30 million in a bank account for a campaign money. Right. <laughs> Not his personal bank account. Uh, governor has... <laughs> we haven't seen his personal bank account. <laughs> he's a Jesuit. He has, he has old sweaters he wears. He his, likes to be cheap. He's got his dad's oil money. He's but fine. Th <laughs> okay, that's another podcast. <laughs> where you just, you've just what, taken us afield. $30 million in campaign money. What will he use it on? What, what will be the issue, if anything, that the governor decides he wants to engage on? I mean, we've heard him talk CEQA. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be on your trip to China. And in the restaurant, the governor kept saying, there's only way you can do CEQA, I think, is on the ballot. Now, Or maybe for your bonus. So <laughs> I think stay tuned. I'm happy I, work, work I know work. that the governor's passionate about it. I know that there are members of the legislature passionate. But I think the politics of the Capitol is so complex to make the deal that you may only be able to make that in a big broad stroke the, the of about way measure. this thing go down at the end I mean you know where you started so the governor's had this five-year run where everything he wants to happen happened and then in the end of the session things really seem to take a different turn and now you know all you guys are happily writing about this stuff is that you know, as we go forward are we in a new time or was this just a little blip and, you know, we're, it's going to be back to well, Jerry runs the place? I think a couple of things. Number one, uh, the first couple of years were about cuts. When you look at the legislative achievements, they were about cuts. And then in a Democratic majority legislature, a lot of the stuff that happened, the big victories, whether it was minimum wage or you know, driver's license and, other, and the, the DREAM Act, it's kind of the low-hanging fruit for, for a Democratic state. And, and a lot of the... The issues that are left are the big systemic structural issues where there's a lot more diversity of opinion even Water. within the Democratic Party. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the big but, stuff is left. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the legacy stuff, and this is the question that may be unanswered in, yeah. in some way. But I wouldn't count Jerry Brown out. I mean, I, I think that this was less of a loss for him than for the pro tem, and I think that for him, he's got three more years and apparently 15 to 20 on this earth, as he said last <laughs> week at the press conference. Um, so, you know, I think climate change, high-speed rail, uh, water are the big issues for him moving forward. And, and I think that, you know, he'll, he'll probably not win every battle, but he, he's, a, he's a pretty strong governor. He's well, be fun to watch, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's fun to watch. And I think your point on the, on the two-thirds and, you know, for, for years the Republicans could wait for the budget and assert their influence being a minority. Now they can't do that, and so and they're going to look it to on these transportation and healthcare. This they're going to look sure. on these issues as a chance to demonstrate their uh, influence and their power. So you know that may be a new uh, thing that we have to you know figure out how to work with. Well, look, I want to thank uh, our panelists. I think you did a great job. Thank you. And again, that was our California Politics Podcast, the somewhat live edition um, from earlier this week in front of the Bay Area Council at a meeting they held in San Francisco uh, with myself, Marisa Lagos, and Anthony York, sitting there doing what we do, talk about politics. Uh, next week, we'll take a look at what's happening in this big off-season. Of course, the special sessions of the legislature did not wrap up. Maybe we'll hear more about that. And we'll also take a look at some electoral politics, given that the uh, California Republicans are gathering this coming weekend in Anaheim, and we'll kind of assess where things uh, lie for 2016. Until next time, on behalf of my colleagues, I'm John Myers from KQD News. As always, thanks for listening.